argument normally with walter hudson tonight with max reimer in fact not just tonight tomorrow night and friday night brianne producing brianne you have me for a few nights i realize that don't mean anything in in insinuating there i just mean professionally yeah i'm excited about it we are together tonight tomorrow night and and friday night and tonight, if you're listening in, you are missing, potentially, some riveting content, I must say. I don't mean to steer anybody away from tonight's show, but Brianne, you are missing the Democrat primary debates tonight. I realize that. The sacrifices I make. That is uh, going to be very compelling content. As I made mention before, the candidates... Let's run through them. Before we run through the topics tonight that we're going to be talking about, I want to let you all know what you're missing tonight by listening to my voice and at points, Brianne's voice, and at points when we have our guest on, Steve Drazkowski, by listening to us, you are missing Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, whose city is falling apart, by the way. And he sees fit to run for president. He sees that as a pretty good qualification. John Delaney. You ever hear of him, Brian? John Delaney, not John Mulaney, right? The comedian? No, no, no. John Delaney. Nope, haven't then. Nah, you would think he was a bus driver. He's actually a former representative from Maryland's 6th District. Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii, who's one of my personal favorite Democrats, just on foreign policy. Jay Inslee, he's the governor of Washington. Amy Klobuchar, our favorite, our hometown gal. I'm sure she will be in this race a long, long time. Beto, Beto O'Rourke, I know you all love him. Tim Ryan and the headliner, Elizabeth Warren. That is who you are missing tonight by listening to Closing Argument, normally with Walter Hudson, tonight with Max Reimer. I want to tell you, I want to make the case for your listenership, for your viewership, for your content ingestation. This is what we're talking about tonight. I want to cover with you, my listening audience, student loan crisis. AOC has said that she wants to cancel all the debt, no matter what the debt looks like, no matter how many years you went to school, no matter what your education actually was. If you went to school and you have student loans, she supposedly has a plan to get rid of them. Ilhan Omar I know I talked a little bit about her last time, but tonight we have, right around 845, we're going to have Steve Drazkowski on. He is a state representative, fresh off an appearance from Tucker Carlson. And what he did almost two years ago was expose everything that we now know to be more mainstream about the representative from the 5th District in regards to immigration fraud, in regards to marrying her brother, potentially, Things that are being covered now by the Star Tribune, we have no new information, and much of the information that we know was uncovered initially by Steve Draskowski and him actually exposing some of the 
not the the campaign finance fraud was what exposed all of this. So we'll have him on around eight forty five. It's going to be an amazing interview. He's basically a rock star at this point because he knew things that we're all adapting and adopting now before we even knew them. And then just a few other things. And I I really want to get into two things in particular towards the end of the show. One, the tech censorship that is happening of conservatives. That was not of great concern to me, I got to tell you, working in social media. But more or less, Vimeo just banned a Project Veritas video. And I want to get into the content of that video, what they deemed to be hateful content, and then why they justified banning that organization because this is becoming a trend that we cannot ignore and then we're going to go through the top 10 ways that minnesota conservatives are gaslighted now if you don't know that term i want you to google that term because it will be useful information later on in the show but as i mentioned this is where i think it is important to start at from aoc a tweet (laughs) Student loans are a scam. Think about that. Student loans are a scam. That's why I joined Bernie Sanders, Rep. Jayapal, and Ilhan MN to forgive all student loans and make colleges tuition free. P.S. The cost of the GOP tax scam, I love when they call it that, the tax scam which my itty-bitty business benefited from. I am not part of the 1%. I'm not part of the 1% of the 1%. But yet, the tax scam, $2 trillion, supposedly, could have already been used to forgive every student loan in America with billions left over. So I'm sure that tweet is a little bit factually devoid, but I wanted to read to you here, From this CNBC story that was published today as an update to some of her proposals in a press conference, AOC, to pay off student loans, I had to do something that was nearly impossible. And she goes on to talk about, I have student loans too. It's so funny, a year ago, I was waiting tables in a restaurant and it was literally easier for me to become the youngest woman in American history elected to Congress than it is to pay off my student loan debt. So AOC is making the case that it was easier for her to become a congresswoman than it was to pay off her student loans. Now, I think that might say a little bit of something in regards to how hard or how easy it might be to become a congressman or a congresswoman than it does about paying off your student loans. But I wanted to address this because I think that I have somewhat of a unique perspective on this. And I I really do want to hear from you. If you have student loans, if you're struggling to pay them off, if there are things that you think can happen that would be different, that would change the landscape in the United States, because this is a debt crisis worth trillions of dollars, I want you to call in 651-989-5855. I want you to tell me your story and what you think can be done about this crisis, because I will tell you, even though, of course, as a principled conservative, I do not believe that the government should be in the business of, well, one, loaning out money like this, but two, canceling out the debt completely if you did take out the money for student loans. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's the government's responsibility. But what you encounter then on Twitter and on social media 
is kind of this snide snapback from from conservatives, from what I would consider to be boomer conservatives. Now, boomerism, by the way, is not an age thing. It's a mentality thing. And to adapt to a new conservative new conservatism that that Trump has introduced, you need to get acclimated with that type of terminology because what I see from a lot of really traditional Republicans and conservatives is this response. If you can't pay for your student loans, suck it up, buttercup, because I did. I did it. There is no such thing as a a student loan crisis because it just requires hard work. You should have worked throughout college. You should have done more to reduce your loan burden. And what I have an issue there with is this idea that somehow college won is the same value add that it used to be, and two, that loans are what they used to be. Because at the end of the day, what I want you to kind of understand, especially if you're a conservative parent, these schools, I mean, listen, let's let's think about it this way. You are conditioned, we're all conditioned to think that a traditional four-year liberal arts degree is the best way towards prosperity, is the best way towards having a stable life, is the best way towards actually propelling yourself forward in society. And these colleges, and I'm not just talking about for-profit colleges, I'm talking about public universities, talking about any college that might be out there right now, they post up in your kid's high school. You're taught to believe that they do need to go there And we will figure it out if we don't have the means to do it, because that is what you do. They post up in the auditoriums of your kids' high school. Kids, especially locally in in the suburbs and places in Minnesota, where we have some of the highest AP scoring in the country. We're putting kids on prescription medication to make sure that they're more competitive in their exam taking. We are establishing all sorts of unhealthy behaviors to make sure that they can get into a college that would be prestigious, would be advancing in their careers and in their life. And we're told that you just figure it out. And then there are indicators, economic indicators, that would would tell us that college is not the value add that it used to be, that you can succeed without a degree, and that knowledge is more open source than it has ever been before. We have resources at our fingertips that give us the power to have an education that normally wouldn't be taught in a traditional setting. So all of these factors come into consideration, and then the the whole industry is built on student loans at this point. It's the majority of the way that people, especially young people, afford college is through federally subsidized student loans. In fact, about 60% of the total loan burden comes from the federal government, which carries about a 7% interest rate if you're looking at a parent plus loan. And from there, if you're a conservative parent sending your kid off to college with the full understanding that our campuses are becoming more radical, they are becoming more ideological, and they are certainly becoming more overt in what they're teaching their students from an ideological perspective. You are conditioned to say, I have a student. He's going to go or she's going to go to college. 
She may or may not, he or may, may or may not know what they want to do, but this is the right thing to do, and we need to get them there at all costs. So you take that into consideration, and then take into consideration that the federal government, either through grants or student loans, are the main funders initially of an education, and that you are sending your kids there to experience a level of indoctrination that they may not have experienced otherwise, where they come away hating you in in, in many cases. They come away hating your traditional values. They come away hating their traditional lifestyle and a traditional upbringing. And then from there, they may be given a degree that is not useful in the market. There's more liberal arts degrees that are issued by colleges across the country than there are liberal arts jobs to fill. And meanwhile, that's not to say anything about college board and tuition, about the expansion strategies of college where they're hiring more and more administration, where it's an arms race. And people in colleges will tell you that it is an arms race for them to compete. New stadiums matter. New facilities matter. And this is where the funds are going. This is not necessarily about the education or quality education of your child. It is going to become more competitive and have more things, more things to offer your student. All the while, the debt burden is on the family and is on the kids at a 7% interest rate. We're not talking pennies. We are talking about a hefty student loan burden. So there is a certain inherent immorality to, to all of this, quite frankly. The process is is bizarre. The fact that this is so ingrained in our mentality that we need to do it. You are taught as a 16-year-old that you need to take out sixty dollars to $80,000 to go to university in some cases at a 7% interest rate. Folks, if you don't think that there is something inherently broken about all of this, then you're mistaken. Then you're mistaken. College is not what it used to be, one, from a value-add perspective. And college is not what it used to be, two, from a cost perspective. There's a meme that goes around that really talks about how you used to be able to basically work a 40-hour work week, summer job, to pay for your college back in the mid-70s. That same type of situation at a minimum wage right now, it, it equates to about 130 hours a week that you need to work in order to afford college. It is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. And the sooner that we as conservatives understand that it is not st- sustainable, it impacts the way that we address it because i'm here to tell you suck it up buttercup is not a response that one is going to win votes but more importantly is not a response that's going to win hearts and i'm not talking about canceling student loans by the way i think you are responsible for that burden but i am talking about establishing with people you love and you trust including your children that they can pursue things that they want to pursue that they can have knowledge that they may not have had otherwise in 2019 and beyond in new ways that are not conducive to a traditional education. You do not need to go to school in many cases to have an education, apprenticeships, tech school. But beyond that, I think going out and taking a risk in the market 
is an amazing learning experience that doesn't cost you money that you don't have. The societal pressure is inherent in this situation. And for people to, for, for us really as conservatives, to respond with, hey, if you can't pay your student loans, well, suck it up, buttercup. I'm not paying for it. If that's our response, if that's how we're addressing kids who are in their mid-20s who are struggling with a lot of other things, mental health and other components of just a hard life. This is a hard life for all of us at any age, but who are in a moldable position, who may not know their place in life, and you tell them that a decision that they made when they were 16 years old, and I'm telling you, it's 16 years old in Minnesota, because you have parents, especially in these first and second ring suburbs, who are making their kids take preparatory exams, who are making their kids get on medication to actually be able to handle the focus that it takes to get ahead in a traditional education setting. When you tell them that a decision that they made for 70 to call it $150,000 at a 7.6% interest rate, that it was entirely their fault, there's nothing that can be done about it and that you don't even care about it. It's not the way to convince people to come to our side on an issue. How we solve it is we have a more transparent system. We have a more transparent cost structure of these colleges. And quite frankly, the government should be less liberal with the way that they dole out money to lenders or, 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 or to borrowers when it comes to education. So we have a few thoughts on this. We're going to take a break. Carolina, uh, well, it sounds like uh, we have a few callers that we'll take after the break here. On the other side of the break, we will continue this student loan conversation. I want to hear from you. Give us a call, 651-989-5855. I want to hear about your student loan story and what can be done about this, because this is a trillions of dollar crisis that our country is facing, and there are a lot of components and a lot of people who feel passionately about this. Stick with us on the other side of the break. I'm Max Reimer, filling in for Walter Hudson on Closing... Coming in hot. My name is Max Reimer. I am filling in for the one and the only Walter Hudson on closing argument. I'll be filling in not only tonight, but tomorrow night and the night after that. So if you hate my voice, I'm sorry. You get it for two more nights after this. You know, this Democrat debate, it sounds like, is getting pretty hot and heavy. It sounds like Amy Klobuchar is really, really making a push. At Donald Trump, she it sounds like it's been almost exclusively what she's been talking about. So if that paints a picture for the strategy she's going to use, I would imagine that this is going to be a really rough week for her. We were talking about student loans. AOC says they should be forgiven and the federal government should do it. I am telling you, I disagree with that. But the way that we respond as conservatives, that's my thesis. I think that that matters. I think it matters for winning people to our cause. Give us a call, 651-989-5855. Give us your student loan story. I want to know maybe how much you have in debt. You don't need to give your name if that's the case. But I also want to know what you think of this crisis, which is trillions of dollars at this point, and what you think should be done about it. We have Carolina Mike. Thanks for holding. We'll get you through. What do you think about uh, What do you think about this situation, the student loan situation? 
Well, I think it's a tough situation for everybody. However, I want to make this less about me and just more about spurring the conversation. And I had a thought. As soon as I heard your question, I, I the first thing that came to mind was the mortgage bailout, the motor company bailout. Yes. And my question to you and the listening audience is, what's the difference? And is there a difference? And if there's no difference, why not bail out those folks with the student loans? And I'll hang up and listen. That's a great, that is a great question from Carolina Mike. Thank you for uh, for calling in and making your voice heard on the subject. And listen, I would say those bailouts were immoral too. <laughs> Just because something happened in the past doesn't make it okay now. And we shouldn't start. And philosophically, right, our government, there's a lot of toothpaste to put back in the tube in the way that we deal with things. But Carolina Mike brings up a really good point. There is no difference. There is no difference between any of that. And I actually think you could make the case that if it is the federal government's own doing, where the federal government is using private lenders to lend to students in a very um, nefarious relationship, then there is no difference in bailout. Sorry, folks. There's not. That's not to say it's right, but that's not to say that the bailout of GM was right. That's not to say that the bailout of the banks during the financial crisis was right. These things caused the housing crisis. They caused the housing crisis. Issuing loans to people who have no ability to pay them back. That's what caused the crisis. And that's what will cause this one too. Now, what's interesting is you had a bunch of lawmakers and a bunch of lobbyists get together and figure out a way to make it so you could not actually get out of these loans via bankruptcy. So it creates this safeguard for the federal government who issues most of the loan payments at a very, very high interest rate, comparatively speaking, to other loans that you can get right now. But imagine that. Imagine any other industry being able to lobby the government and saying, hey, we want the money, and we want to be protected in case people can't pay the money. There's no other industry that could get away with that, and it should make you sick. Somehow higher education is this golden calf that no one can criticize. It's this thing that we put up on a pedestal as something that needs to happen, and it's inherent in our society that you need to go to college. And then we build in legislative protections for that industry so that, one, people can people can take out money that they have no ability to pay back. And then, by the way, get degrees that have no value in the marketplace. When you have an entry-level job and you're, you, you have a gender studies degree and you took out $95,000 worth of loans at a 7.6% interest rate, folks, you will not get a job. Unless you're a professor. <laughs> Ain't that sick. You will not get a job that you can reasonably pay that back in a reasonable amount of time. So when AOC talks about student loans are a scam, I don't think student loans in and of themselves are a scam. But certainly the way that we pursue college and the way that we perceive college is. We have Rick from Minneapolis. We're going to talk a little bit uh, endowments. Rick, thanks for calling. Yeah, hi, it's Rick here. Hey, Rick. Hey, just wanted to make a point here, because you are right. I mean, there's like a triangle here, and there's two predators involved. 
not only the lending process itself, but these huge endowments that these universities sit on. Yes. If you and I started a business tomorrow and had $30 billion sitting in an endowment, trust me, the legislators would be looking at it totally different. I'll oh, hang up and listen to your comments. Absolutely. Rick has a great point here. And endowments is something we didn't hit on, but this is basically a pile of cash, pile of cash that our government can't figure out how to, how to make them do something with it. And Rick is absolutely right. If I had a business and I had a $30 million or a $30 billion pile of cash, Harvard has some of the... There were times where Harvard actually had well, more money in its bank account than the state government. Figure that one out. And I, he, he's absolutely right, though. The government would absolutely make you figure out a way to spend that money if you were a private company and colleges are not treated the same way with their endowments which are massive and they're not using it for expansion they're sitting on piles of cash which i thought was a bad thing to liberals you're not supposed to sit on your money you're supposed to invest it supposed to care about other people with it hey give us a call 651-989-5855 we're hitting the break i'm max reimer filling in for walter hudson on closing our i gotta testify Come up in the spot looking extra fly For the day I die I'ma touch the sky Gotta testify Come up in the spot looking That is one of my favorite conservatives, Kanye West Bringing us in from the break Hey, my name is Max Reimer I'm filling in for Walter Hudson on Closing Argument We're taking your calls We're talking briefly here about student loans 651-989-5855 Let's, uh, let's continue the conversation We'll go to Brian from Savage. Brian, what do you have to say? Hey, I've just uh, I've thought this for a long time. I'm just looking right now. You have Harvard worth $38 billion, University of Texas System $30 billion, Yale $29 billion. I own two businesses. I think if they think it's a good bet to loan these applicants, they should loan the money, not the government, not the public. Yeah, well, that sounds like a, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And in fact, it was the first time I had heard it, actually, was on... Uh, your very idea, Brian, was on uh, Tucker Carlson talking about colleges co-signing student loans, which uh, I think would be a really interesting proposition. But you're right. Harvard is sitting on uh, 30-some billion dollars of cash, and normally liberals want you to spend that money. They want to use the forceful hand of government. As a small business owner, you know, uh, to get rid of your piles of cash. Just Yeah, I think they should have some skin in the game, and those students should be assets that they believe that they're worth the investment. I think you're right, Brian. Thanks for the call. Thank you, sir. Let's go to uh, we'll stay uh, we'll stay in the South Metro here. We'll go go to Tom from Apple Apple Valley has some thoughts on student loans. Tom, what do you think? I'm curious uh, for those of us that have paid off our student loans, are we going to get uh, be able to be reimbursed, or is it just the folks that have balances owing? Yeah. So the justification that a person like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez justifies for giving all student loans, Tom, is that uh, you will be a beneficiary of that because the people who serve you food and the people who are around you in your life will be happier and more positive, which will lift you up. Right. It sure will. I'm, you know, I'm feeling better already. Yeah. Doesn't that sound like a a good trade-off? You you don't get any money back, but you get uh, you get happy nieces and nephews. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Take one more call on this subject before we kind of shift to uh, setting up for our next guest. We have Armadillo from the road. (laughs) Armadillo is that is that your real name, man? No, that's just the moniker I go by for everything. Armadillo. It's his handle. Um, exactly. 
Um, Armadillo, what do you what do you think? You have to go to school for trucking. What's that? You have to go to a four year school for trucking. I'm not a trucker, but my job involves a lot of time on the road. I'm an independent okay. contractor, um, so I'm 1099 and I'm an S corp. Okay. I've owed my student loans since 1998. I was paying them. I privatized them, um, refinanced them, and then during the Great Recession, when I lost my uh, job at, at one of their one of our main corporate headquarters here. Um, I quit paying them, and I haven't paid them since. And uh, there's no way they can't come after me because I'm an independent contractor. I've talked to them about them. I don't get any kind of uh, refunds, which I don't anyways because I'm 1099. I always owe money. But any time of, uh, you know, before when I was renting, before I owned a house, and I bought a house last fall, it didn't come up. I didn't have to pay it back then. Um, I don't get any letters. I don't get any phone calls, and they're all subsidized by the government. Now, my problem is I think this was created exactly. You kind of stole my thunder earlier. When they never allowed or they disallowed bankruptcy as a solution, we didn't have this problem prior to that. Right. No, you, that was and that was under, that was under the guidance of George W. Bush, if you remember correctly. It was, and George W. Bush, unfortunately, as many of our audience probably would agree with you about, actually expanded a lot of welfare programs. It was kind of his domestic policy, and to your point, really, it, the 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 getting rid of the the bankruptcy protections that that does allow you a safe bet against anything if you if you are um a lender who doesn't need to worry about bankruptcy there's no criteria you know there's no you don't have to look at a student's financial situation necessarily to issue the loan so i think to your point that is a protection now that exists uh that that quite frankly shouldn't so uh thank you for the call you're welcome all right have a good one <laughs> Got to get the gold Vikings in there. Armadillo from the road. That's an, that's an interesting name, Armadillo from the road, huh? I see why he goes by maybe a fake name, but that's okay. What's his real name? I didn't get it. I didn't catch that. I bet his real name is Armadillo. He sounds like an Armadillo. We're going to shift gears here. We're going to shift here, get gears here in a little while. On, on the line, we'll take him after the break. Is Representative... Steve Drizkowski, and I, I want to read to you all from WCCO and the Star Tribune, who are now acknowledging that Ilhan Omar probably married her brother. I'm going to let that sink in for you all. The Star Tribune and WCCO are willing to acknowledge that Ilhan Omar may have married her brother. Representative Steve Draskowski, who were taken on after the break, he was one of the representatives that actually uncovered a lot of this financial, this financial situation that Ilhan Omar found herself in as it pertained to her campaign. This WCCO story, Minnesota lawmaker calls for ethics investigation into Ilhan Omar. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes of that with Representative Steve Drezkowski. On the other side of the break, I want you to get ready because some of the stuff that he's going to tell you is going to just blow your mind. You're going to have some thoughts on it. I want you to keep this number in mind, 651-989-5855. On the other side of the break, we have Representative Steve Drezkowski, one of the pioneers, one of our heroes in this situation. Stay tuned. I'm Max Reimer, filling in for Walter Hudson on Close. Welcome back to Closing Argument, normally with Walter Hudson. 
not tonight. Tonight you get Max Reimer. Brianne bringing the hits, the bumper music. That is all brought to you by Brianne, who is just doing a rock star's job producing tonight. Before the break, we talked a little bit about the new Ilhan Omar controversy. I want to bring in our guest, Representative Steve Draskowski. Steve, thank you for joining us tonight on Closing Argument. You're taking some time away from the Democrat debate, huh? Great to be with you, Max. Yeah, I, I, I just had a tough time peeling my eyes away from that. It's very compelling uh, content. Now I'm actually uh, actually working straight through the night. So, uh, but breaking for you, sir. Um, so, uh, thanks for having me. Of course, appreciate you coming on. It sounds like you got an early morning in the morning show as well. So, mm-hmm. you're making the rounds a little bit here, and I say that both locally and nationally. You were just on Tucker Carlson. Uh, our audience would know that name. What were you talking to him about? Well, talking to him about uh, the realities of uh, what what we know about Ilhan Omar and and uh, the way that she has uh, has continually uh, covered up uh, not only some of the things around her uh, her fake marriage uh, in order to skate her way to Congress, but also uh, we talked about the details of the uh, of the statement of economic interest filing last year that really kind of led me onto the trail. Of this corruption um, that we uh, that we see it's just so evident uh, throughout. So um, that's what we were talking about. He was really interested in you know what's going on with this uh, this marriage thing. She's marrying her brother and mm-hmm. and uh, what are the motives behind it? I think a lot of people have questions about the motives. Uh, I think some some people have uh, some ideas, but uh, anyway, I assume we're going to talk about it tonight. Well, I won't give I won't give anyone any obvious sound bites from you right now on the motives of 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 her marriage, but. Really representative, what I was interested by is when the story first kind of broke and you were pursuing the economic disparities in Ilhan Omar's, you know, the campaign finance violations and things of that nature, I remember you taking a fair amount of heat with it at the time, and I was curious about what would actually come from it. You know, what initially kind of led you onto this, besides us not knowing anything about this woman, what what led you down that trail initially? Well, so about a year ago, Max, um, I received an email from the Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board. I'm on their email uh, list uh, to to get their regular monthly updates. And in there, uh, they outlined the fact that uh, Representative Omar, who then was a state representative, and I had served with uh, for, uh, you know, um, over a year, uh, almost two years at that point. And um, uh, the... Uh, the, the email pointed out the fact that she had filed her statement of economic interest a full five months late, um, and that was after she had already had two different violations that she had paid, um, I think, a $1,000 fine for for one other uh, campaign finance violation and then another $250 for another one. And then there was this one, which is an $1,100 fine. Um, so three different fines for a young freshman uh, legislator, I've been in the legislature for 11 years at that point. I had never seen this. I'm right. Like, Holy moly. Um, this is, there's something, uh, something burning under this thing and it doesn't look right. So, um, uh, I went and took a look at her statement of economic interest, which she filed in June. So, um, let me back up. Um, we are required, uh, state legislators, uh, state constitutional officers, a variety of people 
that are elected officials in Minnesota, including, believe it or not, all the way down to the Soil Water Conservation District supervisors, are required to fill out a statement of economic interest in January of each year. And uh, that statement tells you, you know, where do you get your where do you get your sustenance from? Yeah, who, how do you make money? Paycheck? Yeah, who pays your paycheck? Uh, are you in any parimutuel betting situations? Do you, you know, do you have a horse right here? Um, uh, do you, uh, uh, do you have any investments and in what are they? Do you own property in Minnesota outside of your, sure. your home, sure. uh, other than your home? So those are kind of the main areas. There's probably one or two others. Usually it takes about five minutes for me to fill it out each year. Uh, but Representative Omar on her, Statement of Economic Interest uh, refused to fill it out in January. As a matter of fact, the the board not only calls you, but they email you, they send you a letter, and then if they don't hear from you, they send you a certified letter. She didn't respond to any of those and then waited until June to submit her Statement of Economic Interest three days after her Congressional Democrat endorsing convention was over is when she filed it. Okay, so think about that. Um, And now... What was in the statement of economic interest when I did read it was that uh, she had actually taken honoraria, uh, three different honoraria payments from three different colleges, Normandale Community College, Inver Hills Community College, and Mankato State, totaling $2,700 in honoraries. As a matter of fact, uh, she had, was, was part of a, she was listed on a website that uh, that, that was uh, out there for people who are like a speakers bureau type of thing. So it was, it was part of her income, and she listed it on the statement uh, the way she was supposed to. Um, and, and and real quick, Representative, I think it's an important distinction to make. She was listed on the speaker's website because she had built up a celebrity persona at this point as a state absolutely. as running for a state rep spot. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. She had, yeah, and even well before this point in time, she had right. done that. Um, but she, those honoraria, Max, um, all of them are very explicitly against House ethics rules. And so we were out of session at that point in June. And uh, because when you're not in session, the ethics committee doesn't meet and can't meet and can't act on ethics complaints, she escaped the ethics um, process. Uh, she also escaped the scrutiny of her delegates uh, for taking money from uh, those institutions. This is a big deal. Uh, you take money from government institutions that come before the Minnesota House of Representatives. That's what the kind of the language that uh, is in the House rules. It says you can't take money from an organization or individual comes before the House for Business. She actually sat on the House of Higher, Edu- Com- Higher Education Committee that has a primary functionality around determining those numbers right. uh, coming out of the committee. So we're talking about, so I, I held a press conference last year after that, uh, called on her to pay the money back. Uh, she very quickly paid it back and realized um, she got caught, uh, but her delegates didn't know it. And uh, the opponents of hers in the endorsing process didn't have a chance to see that information. So she skated to the endorsement sure. after covering it all up by by um, refusing to file it until after that endorsing convention was complete. We have Representative Steve Drazkowski. Steve, you mind if we keep you on the line after the break here? I don't think our audience is going to believe the next few things that happened in this story. Not a problem. I'm here. All right. Give us a call at 651-989-5855. I'm Max Reimer, filling in for Walter Hudson. The rest of the story after the break.
Minnesota politics once in a while. My name is Max Reimer. I am filling in for Walter Hudson. We're taking your calls at 651-989-5855. Before the break, we had on Representative Steve Drazkowski, and we have him on after the break as well. Steve, welcome back. Thank you. Hey, I hope you uh, I hope you maybe put us on mute for a little while and, and got a little bit more fill of this Democrat debate. It sounds like we are uh, we're missing a doozy right now. I was just interested in the in the president's one word summary. Boring. Boring. <laughs> Say no more, right? Yeah, so, sounds like it. Sounds like, it sounds uh, like according to them our economy is is tanking. It's not working for anyone. That's what I uh that's what I've heard and mm-hmm. and Amy Klobuchar the uh, trying to position herself said that uh, Donald Trump is conducting foreign policy from his bathrobe at 5 a.m. in the morning. So that's uh that's her strategy it seems. Well, they're uh, they're definitely struggling, aren't they? They are. I I we were speaking before the break about some of these financial investigations that were conducted uh, for then state representative Ilhan Omar. I want to fast forward to today because as of yesterday, we had this story from CBS talking about uh, how you called for an ethics investigation, a congressional ethics investigation. Uh, from Angie Craig specifically, Steve, could you tell us exactly what you kind of called for and exactly what you're expecting from the congresswoman? Yeah, what I called for is I asked the congresswoman, she's my congresswoman, so uh, the the perfect and I think correct conduit to the House Ethics Committee, uh, asked her to uh, file an ethics investigation uh, on Representative Omar and to push to have her removed from the uh, House Committee on Foreign Affairs and to have her for her uh, national clearances removed as well. So that's those are the three things I asked for. And and uh, Max, you know, uh, people will will want to know. I think where where things went from what we talked about before the break to today. Um, after that statement of economic interest stuff, um, I actually turned to Representative Omar's. Um, her campaign finance records and found a bunch of stuff in there where she, and I won't go into detail because you're short on time, but found a bunch of stuff in there where she um, spent money on things other than her campaign, including on herself. And so uh, I filed those complaints in July, I think in September or October of last year, two different complaints. Then all the way through this June uh, that we're in right now, the investigation went forward by this campaign finance board. They just released the results on June 6th. And in addition to the nearly $4,000 in uh, fines and penalties that uh, she has received because of all of those laws that she broke there, and there were multiple laws um, uh, that were broke there. Uh, In addition to that, really the, the smoking gun in that report was the fact that she had filed federal taxes in both 2014 and 2015 with Ahmed Hersey, who is not the individual that she was legally married to. So that really stoked then at that point a lot of the discussion that had already been dug up and brought forward, and a lot of information has been brought forward over the last three years by a guy from out east named David Steinberg, who has done a lot of work, Preya Samsadar. Uh, and uh, Scott Johnson here in Minnesota 
Uh, they've dug up a lot of information. A lot of it's there, uh, but uh, a lot of it, it, it's really starting to uh, come together in terms of uh, a lot of people putting information together. Uh, Representative Omar doesn't seem to want to share anything, uh, but um, uh, it's evident that she has a sham marriage at this point with somebody who appears to be her brother, who did come here from England, uh, who did uh, go to uh, college at North Dakota State with her for two or three years from 2009 to 2011. Um, incidentally, she was living with uh, another guy at the same time, and that's the guy that is the the father of her children, who is the same guy she lived with all the way from 2002 to today. Um, she has lived with the same guy, and and it's kind of you know kind of the father, if you will, of her children. Um, and simply, it seems married this individual from from England, who um, much of the data t- says it is her brother. Uh, really, it appears for the purpose of, um, of of getting some sort of special treatment or access to college here in the United States. So that appears to be what it is. But at each turn, Representative Omar has to cover up the inconvenient truth about this old marriage to the guy who appears to be her brother um, uh, because the, the marriage was still on the books, and she, she just got the marriage removed back in 2017. Right. Incidentally, got that removed in an expedited court procedure uh, in which she swore under penalty of perjury that she hadn't seen Ahmed Elmi, her brother, since um, 2011. And there's, there's numerous social media things uh, where they're talking on social media that are captured, there's a, an official court document that was filed in 2012, an eviction notice that's, that's uh, notarized, um, that uh, shows that she was lying in that expedited court proceeding in 2017. So at each turn, Representative Omar is lying to cover up the inconvenient truth of the original lie, um, and that's what's getting her in trouble here, um, and that's really kind of... Uh, where we're at today. This, that's the voice of Representative Steve Drazkowski you are hearing. That is not a conspiracy theorist, a raging racist, or anything of the like. That is a sitting state representative talking about what has been uncovered so far about Representative Ilhan Omar. There are so many discrepancies in the story that have been outlined. Representative, you took the slings and arrows that everyone takes when you go down this trail. Called a racist. He's doing this out of fear. He's doing this because he hates Muslims. He's doing this because uh, this is just a, a a hack. You know, it, it's a hack at a Democrat candidate. What, how did you kind of get past that? You, and and granted, I know this is not your first rodeo. This is not the first time you've had these names thrown at you. But you were pursuing originally an interest in a legitimate economic interest, an inquiry. But all along the way, and we saw this with Alpha News, you mentioned Preya Samsadar. Everybody who has followed this story has been demonized as a racist, going at it in bad faith. Was there ever any time where you considered saying, hey, this probably isn't the road that I should be down as a representative? 
Well, I think you know, you make that decision, uh, and by the way, not a lot of people want to do this. <laughs> no, you, and that was that's why I bring it up. By the way, Representative, because there were not a lot of people by your side in either party when you went down this road to begin with. No, and incidentally, I've actually heard from a number of Democrats in the last few weeks that are supportive of this inquiry and have been. Um, so, um, uh, and we're actually looking for these results coming from the campaign finance board uh, earlier this month. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's about you need the courage to step into the arena, and you got to know when you step in there what you're going to get. So when I uh, when I began with that first press conference about the statement of economic interest. I knew what was coming. I actually had a reporter raise the whole thing about, oh, don't you, aren't you afraid you appear like a bigot and a racist and all this? And I, I simply uh, called him out and introduced the fact that uh, he's the one that introduced those types of discussions, uh, not I or anyone else in the room. So, you know, you got to fight back. And uh, I'm not afraid to do that. And uh, I've taken a lot of... Uh, stuff from Representative Omar and others, and after a while, it starts to ring pretty hollow. So, um, you know, just stand in the arena and do your work. So that's what I do. So what's interesting now is kind of moving forward. I'm, I'm asking you to put your prognostication hat on. What happens next? How does this end for Representative Ilhan Omar, if at all? It seems like she has gone radio silent. She's gone from accusing you and others to being racist, to having an agenda, to being anti-Muslim, to just radio silence. There is no response. Now, she's ignoring reporters on this issue specifically. It's, yeah, well, that, it, that, I, that, yeah. That, how does it end? A lot. That says a lot, Max. Um, you know, she has. it would take her... 14 seconds to defend herself on this if she was if if these allegations were not true that's all i mean uh actually I had a democrat suggest to me um you know have to get the two of them together and have a blood test and it's done if, if you know at that point then you know right um representative omar has her immigration records on her phone she showed it to a reporter in the past but won't make them available um and won't show people the information on the phone so um you know I think uh, I think the fact that she has been very quiet and said nothing about this. I mean, if this was you or I and we were innocent, I would be fighting like mad to clear my name. Of course. Um, and, you know, it's just all of the data that has come together just seems to point in the very same direction. Where does this end? Um, you can expect within the next week, I talked to David Steinberg the other day, and I know that uh, um, Representative Dur Zerwas is trying to get him on the show for Friday, um, but um, uh, and hopefully he does. But um, uh, he's going to be coming out with some more information that might uh, really help tip the scales. And, and I think this thing is going to going to end in a in an abrupt way at some point. Um, and the Democrat leaders in, in the U.S. Congress are going to need to figure out what to do because the political weight of this for the Democrats nationally. Uh, is heavy now, but um, when that comes, it's going to become much, much more heavy. And uh, I, I suspect there's Republicans in the U.S. Congress uh, that, uh, that want Representative Omar to stay right where she is. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and from a political standpoint, that's right. And and I would I would agree with that, quite frankly. I mean, the more that <laughs> you know, the more that we can hold her up as an example of corruption, I, I think it's real. And what I find interesting, and call me a cynic on this one, Representative. But 
I think justice would call for an abrupt ending to this situation because she's a liar and her lies are compounding and you're you're seeing one by one, especially from your inquiries, from your pe- press conference to a potential ethics investigation, more and more of this stuff is going to be uncovered and more of the, more and more, I think, if she talks at all, it's going to be compounding lies. But call me a cynic. It feels like to me this stuff and by what I mean by this stuff, I mean, justice doesn't happen to Democrats. Do you think this ends differently? Well, I'm an eternal optimist, so I, I, I do, and I hope, I certainly hope it does, and um, I think there's a lot of people who will work to make certain it does because uh, uh, people need to come forward. Uh, the uh, the people who uh, who file, um, you know, uh, complaints against people in court need to come together. The U.S. Attorney's offices need to be paying attention to this. The people in the IRS need to be paying attention to this because she's got probable cause right now for tax fraud right um right in front of her um and so i mean all of those all of those things i think are eventually going to catch up with her um but the the speed of this has increased exponentially in the last few weeks for sure in the last couple of weeks for sure and it may increase even faster going forward um and again i've talked to to even Democrats who think that this is, is bubbling up and her radio silence is an indication uh, that uh, that strategy is failing and it's it's going to bubble over. Representative Draskowski, for everybody listening, before we let you go, what is, what is a normal person's call to action on something like this where we are seeing just such blatant corruption, such tax fraud? And, uh, and listen, I'm not asking you to draw conclusions, but it is obvious. It is obvious obvious for anyone with eyes including now the star tribune and wcco and people who are now starting to report on it it is obvious that she she committed marriage fraud potentially for immigration reasons potentially for financial reasons but at the end of the day she's a dishonest person she's a dishonest representative and she's possibly a criminal what is what is a normal person's call to action from this conversation beyond just griping on social media or griping on the radio like i am is there one well, I think the first one is the same is the same thing that I asked uh, Angie Craig to do, and that is, uh, we have uh, a person who is sitting on the U.S. Uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee who has the security clearances about all of the nation's top secrets shared with her regularly. Um, we can't have someone who has a past that shows a high propensity for violating the law and and some will say disdain for the law in that position. The police, Max, will tell you that a person's future behavior is very much reflected by their past behavior. And so if we we can very plainly see what Representative Omar's past behavior is, she has no respect for the law. Will she keep the, the top secrets that are in front of her, um, or will she not and... Um, use them for whatever gain she might want to use them for, because that's what we've seen in the past. It's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. Representatives. So so I would, I would call on people to make that same call to their member of Congress. Uh, Their, their uh, congressman or congresswoman needs to make that same call and put the same pressure 
on their colleagues in the U.S. House of Representatives. Listen, That's the first thing needs to happen. You called on Representative Angie Craig to do this. This is a this is a Congresswoman who has not had to make one hard decision since she's been in Washington D.C. If you are within listening area of this show, tell her to follow Representative. Steve Drazkowski's advice and call for an ethics investigation into this corrupt congresswoman. We have a corrupt, dishonest, compiling lies congresswoman in CD5. And Representative Drazkowski, thank you for being a pioneer on this issue. We'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. Thank you, Max. Have a great week. Have a great night. Enjoy you the Democrat do. debate. Right, you too. <laughs> Bye now. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? She was supposedly married to her brother, filing taxes, but living with a man since 2002 who's the father of her kids. She's getting money from sources that we don't even know about still. Much of the findings that Representative Draskowski talked about in the campaign finance were basically inconclusive. They found a lot of really bad things, but were basically inconclusive to many sources of income because we don't know who this woman is. We don't. We never did. I talked about this last time I was on the show, but she ran for state representative and she won a primary against somebody who had been in the legislature for a very long time. Somebody with a ton of name ID. And she runs for Congress. After not even a full term in the legislature. Do you understand what's happening? Do you understand what the modern Democrat Party has become? It is identity politics. And let's not, let's not make any bones about this. She got elected all along the way, not on her credentials. She ran against a lot of talented Democrats in CD5. She got elected because of, one, the makeup of the district. And makeup, I mean that in several ways. I mean socioeconomic makeup of the district. I mean actual racial profile of the district. And I also mean, by the way, students in the district. That district, if we as Republicans and we as conservatives do not put up a legitimate challenge in that district, one of the most corrupt, and I will say even right now, one of the most corrupt Congress people in our history will continue to get reelected by historic margins. I'm telling you, we don't know who she is. We don't. How did she get there? Y'all, she was on a Maroon 5 music video as she was running for Congress. Getting millions and millions of views, right? We just anointed her without knowing anything about her. I want to get your thoughts. It is looking more and more like there is major fire. There is no longer just smoke, and there is no longer plausible deniability for our media in Minnesota. You finally, finally have the Star Tribune covering something. You finally have WCCO covering something. And even then, this WCCO story that I read from earlier, where it talks about Steve Driskowski's actual call for Angie Craig to open up an ethics investigation... It slights the representative, Representative Driskowski, several times, saying that he is a frequent critic of Ilhan Omar, attacking his credibility. So even when it is obvious and it's in front of our face and there's something just wrong, something just wrong, we are still the racists. We are still the Islamophobes. 
We are still the bad faith actors in this state. We're being gaslighted, folks. We are basically existing in a media political complex where we are an abused spouse, where we have real things that we're concerned about, real things, not invented, not bad faith. And we are still told, we are still told that we are the devil, that we are the ones who are wrong. And this situation proves it. This situation proves it more blatantly than anything I've ever seen before. I want to take your calls on this. I want to get your thoughts on Ilhan Omar and what you think she is doing. What is her next pivot? What is her next lie? 651-989-5855. I'm Max Reimer filling in for Walter Hudson on Closing Argument, taking your calls. Very pleased with myself with this one. How come our representatives don't get featured in a Maroon 5 music video? That's the question tonight. My name is Max Reimer filling in for Walter Hudson on Closing Argument. I'm taking your calls, 651-989-5855 on this Ilhan Omar story. We had Representative Draskowski on who has really, really been a pioneer on this issue and really, basically... A dog at a bone in uncovering some of the corruption, both financially and otherwise, of our representative from CD5. So I want to get your thoughts on that. It is obvious, it is apparent, that she at least faked her marriage. We don't know why. I won't presume to know why until we get a reason. But her campaign has gone from lobbying accusations of racism and Islamophobia towards the people who criticize her to Radio silence, and I think there are smoke in them hills. Mike from Rosemont, let's uh, let's hear what you have to say about Representative Omar. Hello, Max. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I had I had uh, heard about this, I guess maybe a few weeks ago, and was was interested in what was going on here. But one of the questions I had wasn't the part of this to facilitate. Entry into the country. Okay. The, the marriage. Uh, that was my understanding that this was to assist or help this person come into the country. Well, that's that's what one is left to assume right now. Now, that has not obviously been confirmed, but the the writing seems to be on the wall, in my opinion. Now, and, and, and this goes to a bigger issue that I, you know, in all seriousness, really... I don't believe they're holding the debates in the proper place. And what I mean by that is we have this type of mindset now in the Democratic Party where they seem to be more interested in advocating for people that don't even reside in the country. And I just do not see how this ends well for anybody uh, unless your goal is to... Uh, import a serfdom, if you will, of subjects that will continue to vote for you, and basically they're ignoring the American citizens. I, I, it's, I'm just mystified by this. I really don't understand how this 
is, is a good end game for them. And, and basically when you suspend order and law and rules, I guess you enter into anarchy and I see that as problematic. I don't see how our society can function or survive that. Sure. Thank, Mike, thank you for the phone call. And I, I really do agree with Mike's point. It it goes to, one, we have an entire Democrat field now that is advocating for anybody but Americans to benefit from being in America. There is just no argument about that. I think this refugee resettlement issue is one where reasonable voices have been kind of snuffed out in the process. And then, oh, by the way, if you're going to tell me that protecting our border is racist, then I just don't think we have common ground to even talk. Uh, we, we really are living in two different worlds. Let's take another call. Johnny from Minneapolis, what are your thoughts on Ilhan Omar living in Minneapolis? Yes, uh, I, I think Ilhan is a cult figure, and I have never, ever, uh, I, I think she's a very, very dangerous figure. I'm a gay man myself who walked away from the Democratic Party a while back. Okay. And um, I'm finding, I'm very, and I'm, I'm older, I'm in my 50s. And I found that a lot of the younger indoctrinated gay men in this city, in the city of Minneapolis, have been sort of they turned her into like a Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand sure. kind of drag figure, and they love her. Uh, and it's uh, it, it's pretty bizarre. But if I might add, there's a major division among gay men in Minneapolis, which, as anybody knows, is a very gay city, and. Uh, Believe it or not, there's a lot of us who are gay who do not buy into the Democratic Party agenda. And what's going on here is that a lot of older gay men are actually quite concerned about her and are fearful of even talking about her in gay, uh, in, in like gay atmospheres. And sure. One of the things, you can't even talk about, uh, the homophobic element in Islam anymore in, mm-hmm. in the gay scene. You could 10 years ago, but you can't. So these are some things that I'm observing that about her and, and I can't stand her. And I try to speak out against her whenever I can. But of course, you're, I've got a little more steel than a lot of the other guys. But a lot of the older gay guys, they'll tell you quietly, yeah, I don't like her either. Well, Johnny, let me ask you this. So considering that you are a gay man who lives in Minneapolis, she is obviously your representative. And you have, yeah, you, you have a network of other gay men that you're talking to. Is there, is there any kind of coalition there is there anybody beyond you right that's willing to kind of speak out publicly or even call even if you're a democrat call for a primary challenge anything along those lines do you have do you have people who think that way there are people but it's bizarre because it shows how so vietized we've become uh, you know you have out front which is the major uh, the major queer organization for this part of the country, and you cannot. I well, I asked someone who was associated. With, well, I asked a person who was a member of their board about a year or so ago uh, about what the relationship they had was with CARE, the Council of the American sure. Islamic Relations. And when I just asked the question generally about what that was, he all of a sudden, you know, went into this screech about how I was right wing and a fascist. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was just asking for what, you know, what their conversation had been like. Mm-hmm. So what has happened is that most of the organizations. Uh, virtually all of them, especially the nonprofit ones, have are, are and the, the ones associated with health are totally uh, uh, are totally uh, uh, caught up 
in in uh, covering for her and for any other DFL person. Something I want to say real quick that's really important. Straight, some of the, the worst figures in this whole thing are straight Democrat white guys mm. who com- who feel compelled to like be the friend of people like me. Right. And of and uh, and one of them he he did something just horrific and he's so unconscious he didn't know it. And that's Jim Walsh of MinPost, and if you go to his Pride article that's in there right now, you will see all these Ilhan people, like all their, with their little different colored Ilhan things, and this is like I'm saying, it's a cult, and she models herself on a really demonic figure named Linda Sarsour. Mm -hmm. They even look like each other. So, like what the gentleman was saying before about about the borders and all that, he's right on target. But I'm suggesting there's this other level of cultishness that people have got to look at, and that's kind of scary because at least we can talk in you know we can talk in legalities, like with a good a representative was talking about a few minutes ago. I loved what he had to say; he was terrific and very courageous. But there's also this sort of ugly subconscious mind manipulation that's going on with the DFL with care and with certain people in the queer power elite mm-hmm. almost like a almost like a spiritual a, a spiritual yeah, thing it, if you will it's, it's look i'm an old guy i can remember jonestown and that was that was in, in harvey milk san francisco mm-hmm. and remember harvey milk you know uh and diane feinstein both su- had letters of support before the the kool-aid incident which of course is one of the most horrific inter- uh, happenings of that era, as you, 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 I don't know how old you are, but those of, those of you over the age of 50 can uh, remember what I'm talking about. You know, we're going to talk in the next segment, Johnny, about the great gaslighting that Minnesota moderates and conservatives face. And isn't that what this is? It feels like psychological abuse for somebody to tell you, right, as a Minneapolis gay man, that the things you think are somehow fascist in nature, are somehow well, right. white supremacist in nature. It's fascinating. Right. right. One more real quick thing, and I'll run. But when at the Pulse Massacre riot at Loring Park, that was like, I think the, it was just before, uh, he was, before Trump was elected, mm-hmm. there was uh, Mark Dayton, who I used to like, but I think he's a truly reprehensible man now. He admonished us not to talk about hate. You know, they use the term hate. The Democrats right. love to do that. They so overuse that word. Uh, and because he was afraid that there would actually be uh, gays and lesbians who would um, who would want to talk about the homophobia and Islam, that was very much part of what that massacre was about. You can't get away from that. And so, uh, but Mark Dayton, who uh, truly uh, did, did gays and lesbians a horrific disservice, when he, when he said that. And he was also up there on the podium with Chris Coleman, of uh, mayor of St. Paul at the time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Philippe Cunningham, who would become the uh, transgender and anti-cop-hating uh, 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 council member of Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis City Council. And then uh, you also had uh, Scott Dibble, who is the state, the gay state senator who was actually defended uh, well, he, he's made some very questionable remarks, let's right. we say, right. about uh, uh, the whole relationship with uh, Islam and, uh, and and society, shall we say, that, that can be looked up. No, and Johnny, I, I, I really got to tell you, I think voices like yours are being snuffed out of the political environment by comments like our, our disgraceful ex-governor, Mark Dayton, telling you and people like you to right. get out of the state. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, exactly. 
Well, Johnny, thank you for your perspective. Hey, I think it's an important you're one. You're doing, you're doing a great, great job. I appreciate that, and uh, all more power to you. Thanks. Have a great night. What a call. What a perspective. We, we tend to think that Minneapolis works in unison, that CD5 works in unison, that there is just no political opportunity there. People like Johnny should give us should give us a whole bunch of hope, right? Which brings up my really, really my next point is that Ilhan Omar, in my opinion, now Representative Drazkowski predicted otherwise, but in my opinion, the only way this woman is getting out of office is electorally, either from a primary challenge or, God help us, a general election. She's not getting recalled. I think that the most just the outcome of this whole thing is that she winds up in handcuffs, quite frankly, but she's not going to. I really got to tell you, hate to break it to you. I don't think this ends with Ilhan Omar getting out of office of her own accord. I don't think her caucus will hold her accountable. And I think they all care about political power too much to concede the fact that there is somebody poisonous amongst them. I want to continue to take your calls on this subject. Give us a call now, 651-989-5855. My name is Max Reimer, and I am filling in for Walter Hudson. on. Welcome back to Closing Argument. My name is Max Reimer, and I am filling in for Walter Hudson, the one, the only, while he is on vacation in Wisconsin Dells. We are taking your calls on Ilhan Omar, and I want to get to him because we got the phones lighting up right now. We're going to take Kathy from Forest Lake. Kathy, thanks for calling in. Hi. Um, I was. I got two things I'd like to bring up. Number one, isn't this, you know, her district is, um, basically all their groups. So, I mean, I seem to think that this something was taking baby steps a long time ago when they opened up all these sanctuary cities. And, I mean, it's bound to happen where our government's going to be ran by a lot of people that really are from our country, our culture. And second of all, I know a few Asian people that have told me, two different people from two different places that have told me that their fathers are married to four women in Thailand. And the one that um, I'm particularly talking about now, I just talked to him not too long ago, you know, his dad lives with, he bounces around, he's got all four of them here. His, his natural mother died, and he went back to Thailand and got his, his actually fifth wife. He has four wives here in Minnesota. And now she just got done with her collecting her five years of what they get there, and now she just rolled into the Social Security system. Mm. And so is it legal in Thailand they can have four wives, but then when they come here, he's getting all these benefits bouncing around from, you know, all all four of these wives. I asked him, well, does your dad give them money? And he goes, oh, no, they give him money. Hmm. Well, Kathy, thank you for that uh, that call and that perspective. Um, I'll tell you what, guys, we are running short here on a break. I'm going to head to break. Mike, 
Joe, Eric, stay on the line. We got phone lines lighting up in response to the Ilhan Omar and Representative Steve Draskowski interview. I'm taking your calls at 651-989-5855. We'll take them after this break. I'm Max Reimer filling in for Walter Hudson on... Closing argument, normally with Walter Hudson tonight, with Max Reimer, the phone lines are just off the hook right now. Not literally, but figuratively. Just red lights blinking. We're talking about Ilhan Omar. We had Representative Steve Drazkowski on earlier in, this, uh, earlier in the hour, talking about some of the things he uncovered. I am taking your calls for the rest of the evening, however short it may be. Mike from St. Paul, what do you got to say, Mike? Hi, Max. Uh, gosh, I just wanted to tell you what a fascinating uh, interview you had with Representative Steve. Um, I haven't heard you before, but you mastered the uh, art of letting the uh, guest answer and then ask the probing questions. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, Johnny, the caller, really did my heart well. Yeah, and what a great made, perspective. He made my day. Just when I'm about to think, that this identity politics, this pigeonholing has ruined this city, and it probably has, but here comes a guy that can just, he's a straight shooter, and I am, oh, I can't tell you. Then you ask the question, uh, what will um, Ms. Ilhan uh, pivot to? Oh, the playbook. We had a guy in there for eight years that mastered it. GGG, remember the three Gs, and then the... Uh, the vulnerable, weak-minded, labile uh, Swedes and Norwegians of this town, me included, we'll fall for it. That's right. We'll be beat down, and we'll just take it. That's right. And, Mike, thanks for the call. Thanks for the compliments. And I think Mike is on to something, and I hope he is not. I hope we are vigilant. I hope we contact Angie Craig to tell her there needs to be an ethics investigation because so often, and we'll talk about it tomorrow night, I still have my top ten list of the ways we're being gaslighted in Minnesota, and I'll get that get to that tomorrow, but we are called liars, we are called racists, and we fall for it every time. Eric in, in CD5, uh, taking your call, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Ilhan Omar? Uh, I, my uh, personal thought, I'm in CD5. Uh, I'm in uh, Omar's district there. Uh, I think she shouldn't call her by her first name, honestly. I don't think Johan is – she just say Omar. kind of makes her a little bit less gothic. I don't know. But uh, I don't think unless she got pregnant by her brother, unless they conceived a child, that this story is going to do anything more than the Keith Ellison story. And you can, I remember listening to you, and you were talking about that one when Keith was getting the domestic abuse and Max. You know, I've heard you on the radio for a while now. Um, do you? Re- I, I heard what you said. You really don't think this is going to anything's going to really happen here. You're like she could re- literally in CD five do. There's, there's I hope it does. Not do. I hope I'm wrong. What's that? I, I hope I'm wrong. Yes. <laughs> but, but but the bottom line is, what do you think will attack her? I don't think. I mean, I'm listening to the Nationals and Hannity and whatnot. Yeah. It's their drop story. I know. Unless she got her pregnant, it's a non-story. She's going to get sued. But if she's in it, how do you solve the district of CD, the problem of CD5 for the conservative party? I'm conservative here. I've actually watched people turn towards conservatism with this great economy. And, you know, people I never thought would go that way. But right. they're actually liking Trump. Right. So yeah. how do we really solve the problem in CD5 is what I'm saying, Max. That's the, the question here. Yeah. So this is a, fly, a flash in the pan story. 
Eric, but thanks for uh, really thanks for your opinion. I apologize. We gotta we gotta cut out here pretty soon. I think Eric. Uh, Hopefully we can have a little bit more of a positive outcome, but I, I think he is on to something, unfortunately. Hey, thank you all for joining me tonight. I will be on tomorrow night. This is Max Reimer. I'm filling in for Walter Hudson on Closing Argument. We'll see you tomorrow night. Enjoy the remainder of the Democrat debate. I know you're all watching.